Shut up and sit down. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. The only thing we have to fear is... Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. I'm speaking with myself, number one, because I have a very good brain and I've said a lot of things. And... He also went to an Ivy League college. Yes. yes. <laughs> I heard that last clip played this week uh-huh. and it instantly put me into podcast mode. I felt like it's time to podcast. <laughs> it's like a Pavlovian response when I hear that. Uh, the wheels are coming off. Real real quick <laughs> or, or I, I can't decide if they're coming off or they're just being ratcheted down yeah know? i don't really one know. of the two welcome back guys good to be here how you doing phil yeah i'm good I, so, I, so we have a lot of real stories <laughs> to talk about today but but if you will indulge me a little bit uh one of the stories that got cut from this week was the reinhold niebuhr story about james <laughs> comey <laughs> now most people probably have no idea who Reinhold Niebuhr is, but he's this theologian uh, who wrote uh, he wrote about Christian realism, and he wrote this famous book, The Irony of American History. And there's been speculation for the last few weeks, or actually months, about whether James Comey had this Twitter account that was named Reinhold Niebuhr. And James Comey would tweet uh, random pictures of the Potomac and geese, and, and then this week it was revealed that it was him. Why? 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 Because he's got a secret. He's going to tweet about because he has an account and he called it. He named it Reinhold Niebuhr. So the Niebuhrians out there, this is this is a big deal. If I remember correctly, several months ago there was like an elaborate like internet sleuthing to figure this out. Mm -hmm. People who like tied this account had retweeted Ben Wittes and like all sorts of stuff. Yeah, this this account has one hundred twenty nine thousand followers, and and Comey (laughs) has tweeted out like six times. Six times total. (laughs) Yes, it's. But why? Okay. <laughs> I don't know. What, well, uh, he, he didn't had, hide it well. No, but but the thing is, so this book, this irony of American history, is is uh, a philosophy that uh, Barack Obama really embraced in his foreign policy. But there are Niebuhrians on the left and the right. I'll stop talking about Niebuhr. But for me, this was an interest. This was my favorite story of the week. Just, so. You just like saying the word Niebuhr, Niebuhr, Niebuhrian. So. All right, we should talk about real stuff. Do we have to? Yeah, oh yeah, this is a good week. I'm topics. I'm actually excited about yeah. that because it was I was getting infuriated over the past couple of days. So I think this this will be fun. We have a lot of disagreements it, on things. It'll, it'll be good therapy. <laughs> yeah, or something like that. All right, so we should we should start uh, with the Republican Civil War that's playing out. So yeah. just to remind our readers, uh, yesterday or Tuesday, uh, Jeff Flake and Bob Corker unloaded on Donald Trump. Uh, uh, Jeff Flake uh, said that he was going to not seek re-election uh, for the Senate and then launched into this 17-minute speech where he absolutely tears apart uh, Donald Trump. Bob Corker was also going after uh, Trump this week in, in Twitter and interviews. Bob Corker was all over the place. Last Thursday, George W. Bush gave a, a, a devastating uh, speech attacking Trump. Uh, specifically, Bush said, We have seen our discourse degraded by casual cruelty. We've seen nationalism distorted into nativism, forgotten the dynamism that immigration has always brought to America. So you have the establishment of the Republican Party attacking Trump. Uh, And this this is a big deal, right? I. Yeah? 
I think it is. I think it is. Yeah. I, I think it is. Um, I, I've kind of gone back and forth this week on how big of a deal it is, but it feels like maybe the beginning of a snowball effect, right? We've talked about Republicans who have come out and said things in the past, um, but it, what it takes is for this to turn into some sort of a, a movement, and it feels like the last week and a half there's been some momentum to this, right? This is not people just sort of, you know, refusing to to say anything or you know make a veiled criticism. Like this is a direct critique, calling yes. out. Like Jeff Flake's speech was was powerful, right? He he's talked about how this is. Yeah, so you want to play clips go, of yeah, it? Let's go to the tape. Let's go to the, let's go to the tape. <laughs> Hold, please. Sustained incumbency is certainly not the point of seeking office, and there are times when we must risk our careers in favor of our principles. Now is such a time. We must stop pretending that the degradation of our politics and the conduct of some in our executive branch are normal. They are not normal. Reckless, outrageous, and undignified behavior has become excused and countenanced as telling it like it is when it is actually just reckless, outrageous, and, and undignified. When a leader correctly identifies real hurt and insecurity in our country and instead of addressing it goes to look for someone to blame, there is perhaps nothing more devastating to a pluralistic society. We have fooled ourselves for long enough that a pivot to governing is right around the corner. We know better than that. When the next generation asks us, why didn't you do something? Why didn't you speak up? What are we going to say? I quit. Mr. President, I rise today <laughs> to say enough. I have children and grandchildren to answer to. And so, Mr. President, I will not be complicit or silent. This is big. I, did yeah. we turn our volume back up? <laughs> no, our volume is up. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> we can still hear us. Yeah. This is the attack that many of those who are frustrated with Trump were hoping would happen. So, you know, in the course of basically eight days, we've had John McCain give a speech like this. We've had Jeff Flake, Bob Corker, George W. Bush. I mean, this is the, the core of that old establish, establishment of the Republican Party saying enough is enough. This is mm. it's a wonderful and, speech. And, and the more people who do this, the more cover that provides for others to to sort of jump on the bandwagon. I, I, I We still have a long ways to go. Right. Like, I, I don't want to, like, overplay the significance of this because. Where, you know, we've had a few prominent Republicans actually directly call out Trump as like uh, Flake actually talked about Trump being a, a threat to democracy. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is these are powerful words. So I, I think it's it's important and it and it shows some level of momentum. But I I don't. I, yeah. At the same time, I, I kind of fall in the middle somewhere because there's still a long ways to go. Right. You have mm. to do something about it as opposed to just saying something about it. Right. Well, I, I think the other part of this is these generally are people who are pretty much in the twilight of their political career as well. McCain yes. is leaving. Flake is leaving. Yep. You know, there's nothing that former presidents can really do besides give their yep. opinion, and there's no consequences for it. That's so, a really important point. You more know. important than that, now the Democrats love George W. Bush, yes. which is hilarious. Right. Yes. You know how right. many pictures I was going through yesterday of him being burned in effigy? Yeah. <laughs> During yes. the war protests? No, that's a whole. That's a really fascinating topic as well. But you're right. The idea that that the only Republicans who can say this are those who are retiring. So to, you know, basically the two senators from Arizona who aren't likely to be around for another term, mm -hmm. and Bob Corker who's retiring, and George W. Bush who no longer is in power. So right. that's the limit, or that's I guess that's where this argument is coming from. Do we anticipate any additional Republicans jumping on board? Somebody who's actually in office who has power, or 
or are they going to be left alone? In which case, I think to your point, Phil, this doesn't really matter. I so I, I I'm just thinking uh, the long pauses because I'm thinking about this. Um, uh, yeah, I mean I think other people are gonna other people are gonna jump on board. Um, the question is whether it's gonna be a handful or whether you're gonna see a shift in the in the party. I you know there's an interesting element and I haven't really thought about this until until right now. But it, you know there, there was this classic understanding of party politics in America where parties served the role of of being sort of an idea shaper. Right, they helped shape the the perceptions of the public right so so part of the job of parties is to you know help shift public opinion but i, I to some to some extent this shows evidence that that is really flipped around right that 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 parties are not shaping public i mean the reason republicans aren't more openly critical of trump is because they're not the ones who have power right yes. they're they're having to it's it's public opinion that is shaping parties and so you see republicans what we would consider mainstream republicans leaving right they're just giving up on politics or leaving the party um and in that sense i don't know maybe that's concerning maybe it shows that in fact what's happening is the the trump movement is solidifying its control of the republican party yes and i think even if i think that's spot on and even if we say that jeff flake won the day yesterday i think bannon and trump are going to win this war because they're they're removed right I mean, I, they are they are the swamp yeah. the swamp is is being drained yes. by itself I mean, and I, I mean, I applaud Jeff Flake. I think this was a speech that had to be given. It was more direct than McCain and Bush and others have been. This was, uh, you know, to go back to the Cold War and the McCarthyism, this was Joe Welsh turning to Joseph and McCarthy and saying, have you no decency, sir? I mean, this was that moment. But my fear is at the end of the day, it's not going to matter. No other Republicans that are in office appear ready to make this claim. Mm -hmm. Paul Ryan's not going to do it. Mitch McConnell's not going to do it. Nobody else. Uh, I, I feel like this. they're going to be out there. They're going to be making this critique. And it's not going to have much difference in terms of policy. And I think you're right. I think the Republicans, or Trump, I should say, has solidified this new Republican Party, which is very, very different from the established Republican Party. So I, I, I give Jeff Flake credit I, I there's there's something courageous about this about making this speech publicly um should we give him are we giving him too much credit is the really courageous thing no. to do to come out and say this <laughs> and then run for office right Correct. don't resign say that this is trump is the what's wrong with this party and you go out and you get people to vote for you saying that that's the real that's the real action that that is required at this point. I agree with that. I don't think he could win. I think the reality, he even said this in a couple of interviews yesterday, that he couldn't win running the kind of campaign that he wanted to. And that says something. He says, you know, I can't be the Jeff Flake that was initially elected. I have to move to the right. I have to embrace this nationalism, this anti-immigration. I have to shift towards the ban and wing of the Republican Party to get elected in in Arizona. So I think it's... I, I don't think he could win. I, I I think by himself, no, you're probably right. But if this is turning into some sort of movement, then have that be the result of the movement. Have it be something that is politically useful and strategic and could actually change the makeup of the Republican Party from the opposite perspective and bring more people in from, yeah, bring more people in from the center and the left. Here's that's a, that's a good point. But here, here's what would likely happen. He would run. He, there, there would be a primary challenge from him, somebody from the right. They would get somebody further to the right, a Bannonite, a Trumpite, who would run and likely win. And then if Flake loses in the primary, he doesn't have a voice anymore. It's sour grapes. 
So I think there's some strategy to say, I'm going to step out now. I realize I can't win unless I embrace that right wing, and I'm going to use this platform for however much time I have left for attacking Trump. It, it, it seems to me that there's still some element of sour grapes to that, though, right? It's right. a, it's a, sure. I'm going to take yeah. my toys and go home. Exactly. Right? Yeah. It, like, it, it seems like if you really feel like this is a battle for the soul of the Republican Party, you fight that battle. And if you lose, then the Trump wing, maybe the Trump wing solidifies its control. But by saying, I don't like the Trump wing and I'm leaving, that seems like that's conceding the right. party to the Trump wing. It, it is. And it speaks to the power. And I think that's maybe the bigger story here that for all of Donald Trump's problems, the Republican Party is now behind him. I mean, this is this he has been able to shift this party in a relatively short period of time to a fundamentally different worldview than it had two years ago. Mm-hmm. How, how has he done? Like, I, I don't I, know. I mean, genius. he has he has, you know, he what upper 30 percent approval rate. Like he's not I could understand a, an incredibly popular president coming in and, and doing that. Um it's bizarre to me that a person who was opposed by the party, who many Republicans have problems with, and who's not a particularly good leader and is not particularly popular, how he has managed to, to sort of solidify this shift. Is that shift real or is this just the sort of perception that we're sort of assuming that, oh, the Trump wing, because they're loud, they are powerful? Are, are we Are we giving them too much credit, I guess? I think from... The, an internal legislative perspective, the Trump wing is, I, I wouldn't even say that they're that loud. They're, I think they're, um, they're disruptive. I think the constituents uh, and the people who make up the, uh, the, the Trump supporters are the real issue. Not issue, but um, I, I mean, we saw the result of this in the election. Nobody assumed it was going to be that close. And it's, it's, I don't want to say silent majority, but I, I think there's a significant portion of the population that isn't ever represented in these polls or statistics that need to be taken into account now. He's tur- he's turned the Republicans, and, and they are supporting him. If not, somebody else would have said something. Paul Paul Ryan or Mitch McConnell or somebody else would have said something about what Flake did yesterday, but they all ran away from it. Yeah, uh, and, and I think internally, Phil, they do support flake i think there's a lot of republicans in congress right now who would rather see that the flake wing of the republican party win or be victorious but they realize that's not where the voters are right now and they're scared and they have to they have to play the game but that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy too right like if 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 all of the republicans who had who thought that jeff flake was right would step up and say that they thought jeff flake was right this wouldn't be an issue right yeah, so it's right. this like sort of collective action problem in the republican party it is classic collective action problem mm-hmm. you know you have to get to the tipping point where enough people say enough is enough with trump i think at some point we will hit that with trump he's going to continue no you say no no absolutely not <laughs> he's he'll keep doing things and at some point we'll say have you no decency sir and then it'll find same thing with mccarthy eventually people got tired of mccarthy's crazy antics and at some point don't we think they'll get tired of trump no no <laughs> no I, I think half the country is already at that point so there's no point in attempting to get those people um and the other half of the country hates the other half that i just talked about it's not about what he does necessarily it's in opposition to what the opposition is doing and more than that it's it's a power struggle i mean the reason you don't see these people coming out that are going to continue to be part of 
uh, the national debate and, and legislative practice is because they they have they have a horse in the game. Like sure. they they can't afford to lose that position, or at least in their minds, they can't afford to lose that. I, yeah. I, there, I, I can't imagine someone like a Paul Ryan or someone of that stature coming out in complete opposition to Trump oh. anytime in the future. That's that's what it would take. Phil, you were saying. So I, I think there's a lot of truth to what Nick is saying. I also would say to go Thank back you. to beat my to beat my dead horse that I beat a lot here. <laughs> um, I uh, I think that people might get tired of Trump. I, I could see him, you know, I. It would not at all surprise me to see him lose in the you know after four years be a one-term president and a deeply unpopular one, but I the thing that I think might happen is that he might become unpopular, but he will have had the effect and the impact when we talk about yeah. these changing norms yeah. that he will have had. That's why you know it's important to call out these you know for for people like Flake to make these statements about threats to democracy and whatnot because we might get sick of the person and he might he might you know people might decide he's a buffoon. But he very well likely will leave a lasting impression on American politics and how it how it's played. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, and think about Arizona. Whoever wins that seat is likely to be more conservative than Jeff Flake is. Yeah. Don't we think? Or, or yeah. do you think a Democrat can can steal that seat? Well, that's why I think it was it's important for Jeff Flake to make these statements and then run. Yeah. Right. Because because mm-hmm. if he. It, you have to give if you're a voter in Arizona who agrees with Jeff Flake, who doesn't like or who is concerned about what maybe you're a diehard Republican, but you're concerned about what Trump is doing by making these statements and then walking away. How do you express support for that? Right. Because right. you're probably going to have a far right wing candidate and maybe some other unknown Republican or a lesser known Republican. Right. You, this is where Jeff Flake says, this is what I stand for. I'm running for election. And if you agree with me about the soul of the Republican Party, vote for me. And maybe he loses. Um, but but then that's a story to tell. That's good yeah. optics. Yeah. So I hope he uses his remaining time in office to make the argument that he made yesterday to continue to argue for a Congress that will push back against the executive branch for a Republican Party that means something beyond just anti-immigration and anti-Islam and nationalism. I, I hope he and John McCain and George W. Bush and others and Bob Corker continue to make that argument because it has to happen. If, if in my sense, the soul of the Republican Party is at stake right now, it, it will be telling if. A Republican that is up for re-election starts making these sorts of comments, right? Because all of the ones, like we talked about, all the ones who have so far are people who are on their way out, and and that will be um, an interesting litmus test if that ever occurs. Definitely, yes. Should all right, probably move on. Move on to topic number two. Yeah. All right, so uh, so our second topic is a topic we also hit on last week, uh, dealing with Trump and Niger and fallen soldiers. I've heard it described as condolence gate, which <laughs> which I <laughs> sort of think is pretty good. So to refresh our listeners' memory, on Thursday, Trump deployed John Kelly in a press conference to support his version of this call to the widow of Sergeant LaDavid Johnson. Uh, Kelly gave a powerful testimonial to fallen soldiers. I mean, a really moving one. Uh, But he ended it with an oddly placed and inaccurate attack on Representative Frederica Wilson, who was the one who uh, challenged Trump's account of the phone call. Now, the White House is stuck with John Kelly's uh, story on Wilson and Sarah Huckabee Sanders even even suggested that it was inappropriate to question a four star general. uh, Where the press press (laughs) has shown that the story that he told was inaccurate. Um, on Monday, Maisha Johnson uh, went on Good Morning America, this is the widow, to defend Representative Wilson's version of events and to express her outrage at the way in which Trump spoke about her husband's death. Trump has continued to argue 
that he had an appropriate phone call, that he used Sergeant LaDavid La Johnson's name. Even even today, he gave a, a brief comment about it as he was he was at the White House. So he's doubled and tripled down on this story. Um, this story won't go away, and I think it won't go away because our president won't let it go away. And part of me just feels like this is this is absurd. This shouldn't be that big of a story, but there are a ton of really interesting storylines. So mm-hmm. I don't know where where should we start? Phil, you're always insightful on stuff like this. You, you, <laughs> you get me to the right place of an issue. <laughs> where do you want to Where do you want to start? I I mean the the. I, I probably haven't read as many details of this as I should, but it, it this is like a classic Trump scandal, right? It's totally self-inflicted. It's totally like it's just the idea of you know, we talked about Trump being a couple of weeks ago. This idea of like being a reflex machine, right? Yes, uh, this which this people just, love. <laughs> this just reeks of that, right? Like some somebody critiqued, you know, it comes out that someone is critical of his response to. Uh, um, Oh, the widow of a of a, an American soldier, and his immediate response is to attack the widow. Yes, right? It's yes. like it's a bizarre, it, it's a bizarre, um, it's it's just a really strange response. I don't I don't quite understand what he's so he's finally thinking. somebody is standing up to these darn widows who keep pushing yeah. the issue. Right? I mean, well, I mean, they're just they absurd. get uppity about things, and oh. it's just out of control. Um, so. This is honestly, I'm just curious because I haven't been able to find the actual information in any of these stories. What was Representative Wilson doing with the widow at that time? They were in a car. So they were, the call was on speakerphone. Yes. So she's apparently a friend of the family, and they were they were on their way with other individuals, other family members, to the I think to the airport to get the body. So they were all together. Okay. Uh, so and again, they're, they're I guess they're close friends. So this is not a uh, strange thing to be together. And uh, and I think Kelly's point was that you should never put a call like this on speakerphone. Yeah, I, I'm not so sure about that. Right? This is, seems like it's a family's choice. If she wants to put the the call from the president on a speaker so the rest of the family can hear, that's her choice, and we can yeah. agree or disagree with that. But we shouldn't say that that's inappropriate. Uh, and if she's it- friends with the representative, that's her choice as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, the, the whether she put it on speakerphone or not is that 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 seems that doesn't seem like that big of a deal to me. Whether or not uh, the representative should have sort of come out with this or made yes. this statement I, is is I think a more interesting question about yeah, whether or not this is an appropriate, you know, politicization of this of this uh, issue. Yeah. My sense of this is that Donald Trump called and tried to be as empathetic as he possibly can be. Yep. And there's just no empathy in him. So when he was trying to do this, he's just not capable of doing this. I don't think there was any malice in the phone, in his intent with the phone call. Yep. I think it's probably, I'm guessing, he probably didn't use the name. This seems like a, a detail that Donald Trump would forget. Uh, and the, the widow had a reaction where this felt like it was a callous phone call. So, I mean, I th- there are multiple truths here. I think Trump could have been trying to do the right thing. Uh, and I think the widow had the right had an appropriate reaction from her perspective that she felt like the president wasn't showing uh, proper condolence yeah. to this tragedy. So this is my thing, and I, I have uh, <clears throat> some supporting evidence with this. I, after reading some of the other stuff that I've heard and just listening to the stories that come out, I I have a really hard time thinking that he was as callous and unempathetic as he's being portrayed um so i had a story i found a story uh from cnn about another call that he made to another widow of a fallen soldier who was killed in afghanistan in april um he knew 
exactly uh, the the name of the widow. He knew the name of the uh, the soldier that was killed. The actual um, dialogue was I'm so well again not the greatest orator, but I'm so sorry to hear about the whole situation. What a horrible thing! He's an unbelievable hero, and you know all the people that served with him are saying how incredible he was. Uh, let's see. Da, da, da. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Um, uh, tell them their father was a great hero that I respected. Uh, President told Day Allen Carr to take care of herself and extended an invitation to visit the White House, uh, come over and see me in the Oval Office. So this was corroborated by the widow herself. So For, for a different call. I, for yeah. a different call, yeah. yeah. So I, 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 think, yeah. Go ahead. I think you're probably right. I, I think Trump is not great with words, right? Mm -hmm. This this is not an easy phone call to make. There is no right thing to say, right? I mean, there are wrong things to say, but there's like, what what can you possibly say to someone who is recently widowed, right? And so Trump... He, he's just he's not he's not great. Right. Even <laughs> even if he means well. Right. So the, the thing that got in the news was the statement that he knew what he signed up for. Yeah, right. Right. And, and I tend to to I, I see both sides, which is that that is not a particularly empathetic or kind thing to say. But I also get what he's I think what he's trying to say, which is that, you know, he's like a hero. He he, yeah. he saw he knew that he was putting his life at risk and right. he still chose to do this. And this is something that uh, Kelly, John Kelly had told him that that's what he has said to these people that, mm-hmm. you know, he yep. knew what he was doing. He was with his friends. This is how he would have wanted it to go. Uh, so I, I know I don't disagree with either of you as well. The, it's the reaction. So yeah. the mm-hmm. widow is always going to be right. So if you're Donald yep. Trump in this moment and she expresses her frustration and she's angry about this, he could have stopped this whole story by just saying, you know what, I'm sorry. I tried to be as empathetic as I could. Sure. I thought I used her, her the, the sergeant's name. Maybe I didn't. I'm so sorry. I hope that, uh, you know, I'm sorry if my call upset you. That wasn't my intent. He could have said yep. that publicly. Sure. This mm-hmm. goes away. He doesn't, right? He says, "No, I said his name," uh, and, and that's that's where this story gets legs. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I, I think back to, uh, you know, several articles reference the 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 incident uh, um, when George Bush just got uh, was it in the hospital when he just got attacked by yes. the this this the mother of a soldier She's screaming um, at him, and and he just stood there and took it, yes. and and that's what you do, right? Like this is not a situation in which you have to be right. Yes, but Donald Trump. Does and so you're exactly right. This is where it should have been a non-story. He should have said nothing, right? Let her be mad, and you you move on. But yeah, it wasn't just that he attacked. He attacked the the representative. He attacked the widow. He attacked. He, he made up shit about how the Obama, how yeah. President Obama never called. Like just right. just blatantly <laughs> false stuff, right? Like it's pathological. It that, is. That's it's bizarre. It's it's the the phone call is you know awkward and maybe not the best. It's the stuff that came afterward that's mind-boggling. Sure. There are things that are hard. Being president is hard. This is something where it should be relatively easy. You take the heat, and by doing so, you win, right? So if Trump's so worried about winning, by being the better person, by being empathetic, he wins. So I think the other example with George W. Bush was Cindy Sheehan, who carried out this multi—I mean, this long campaign of attacking Trump and attacking the Iraq War, protesting at the White House. And George W. Bush, to his credit, never attacked Cindy Sheehan. Mm. I mean, he just said she has the right to say what she wants, and it was—it was graceful how he handled that. And he—and so I, I think this would have been easy for Trump to react in any other way than he did. Sure. What do you guys think about John Kelly? Because I think in some ways that's the more interesting reaction: how Trump sends Kelly out there. Kelly feels some burden. 
I don't know if as, as a general or what to go out and, and make this statement. Uh, and in the process, do we feel like the way he handled it undermined his own position? Hmm. Because he, I don't know, deep thought. I, I don't, <laughs> I, like, that's the thing. Like, I, in this particular situation, I, once you get past the, the actual discussion between Trump and the widow, and then it gets into this whole politicized thing. Yeah. I don't know who to trust at this point. Right. So, I, 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 for one, don't necessarily trust the the narrative that Representative Wilson gave. But the way that Kelly also positioned himself was a little bit over the top as well. So, I like, I, I, I don't know. It's just it's all bad. In his talk, he accused uh, Representative Frederica Wilson of saying something at the dedication of an FBI. Building? I got it right here. Actually, okay, yeah. Um, Congresswoman stood up and in a long tradition of empty barrels making most noise, stood up there in all of that and talked about how she was instrumental in getting the funding for that building and how she took care of her constituents because she got the money and she just called up the president, who was Obama at the time, uh, and on that phone call he gave the money, uh, the $20 million, to build the building, and she sat down, Kelly said, and we were stunned. Stunned that she'd done that even for someone... That is that empty a barrel. We were stunned. So now the press has looked at that and gone back to that speech, and it's just not true. It didn't happen. She didn't say that, any of that. Mm-hmm. And so they've asked the White House about this to say, like, you know, we go back, we can look at the speech, you can see it. It's, it's all over the Internet right now. And I think the building, whatever he was suggesting, had already happened, so it wasn't it wasn't possible. It was clearly not true. Well, apparently Wilson wasn't even in Congress during right. that year. Yeah. <laughs> so at that point, again, the White House could have just said, well, you know, he was misspoken. But then Sarah Huckabee Sanders comes out and says, you know, how dare you question a four-star general? It just feels like there are, yeah. there are too many generals, mm-hmm. and it's not good. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> I, yeah, no, I, I have I have concerns about the number of generals as well. <laughs> to me, the issue that that kind of tie all of these are sort of tangential to each other. But yeah. the, the other issue that ties into this and it ties into whether, you know, whether Kelly is, you know, debasing himself or, or whatever. Um, the other issue that I that I think is it- interesting or concerning is the politicization politicization. I can never say that word, <laughs> I know, especially I, after drinking. <laughs> The politicization of the military. Yes. So, uh, the there. I mean, there have there there are political divides on the military, right? Republicans are more supportive of the military. Military people tend to be more Republican. But the idea that, um, you know, there's never a there. You don't question Barack Obama. You might not like Barack Obama, but other than in extreme circles, right? Like he he. Uh, he respects and has a tremendous amount of, uh, you know, pride in the military and recognizes the sacrifice. There's nobody, no president that has ever been like anti-military, right? right? right. But you see it in this, you see it in the NFL stuff with the whole, you know, that if, if you're kneeling, it's because you don't respect or don't, you know, like the, the military and, and the extent to which there's this, this attempt to, make the military a sort of a political tool, um, I think is, is dangerous, right? We have a long history of the military being apolitical and there seems to be an attempt to, to break that a little bit. And it's another one of those norms. That's a little concerning to see it eroding. Hey, it works for North Korea. (laughs) It works for Burma. You know how many countries that works in? 
Yeah. We're just behind the, behind the curve. You see the danger of generals who their job in the military is to follow orders, right? So that's, that's the nature of military protocols. You follow orders. So it's not surprising that a general would go out and if the president asks him to take a tough, uh, put him in a tough position, he will embrace it and defend the president. But mm. then in the process, Kelly becomes this hatchet man. He becomes the political hack for a president. I, I, it, it's very disturbing to me. And I, have a, I had a lot of respect for Kelly, Mattis, and Tillerson. <clears throat> And, and to some degree, McMaster as well. But it feels like with this incident, Kelly is losing some of that integrity. And I, I still think Mattis has it. I still think Tillerson, even though he's pretty sleepy, has some of it. <laughs> McMaster feels like he's kind of losing some of that perspective as well. And so I don't think the general experiment is working out real well. There's a day. I mean, we, we talked about with with the adults in the room, the people yeah. like, uh, you know, McMaster and and. Kelly always he he was a little more concerning to me than others, but um, yeah, the the ability of you know of, of sort of the saner uh, the cooler heads in the room to to control things, but there's always the danger of you know when you there there's this you know proximity to power and and the 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 way in which if you're only exposed to the Trump point of view like that that's going to have an effect over time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, I think you're right to be concerned about this. Yeah, I think I think Kelly comes out of this. I think Trump comes out of this episode looking much worse, and I think Kelly, in particular, uh, looks 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 terrible. And I will say, like his Kelly's account of the treatment of fallen soldiers was powerful. Mm-hmm. When he was he was relaying that account, it was it was emotional. He was talking about his son. It was uh, you know it was it was hard not to have a little tear in your eye. And then he transferred to this political attack where I felt like he undermined a lot of what he was up there to do. Yeah. Can we, I know we have to move on, can we, what are your thoughts on the attempt to politicize um, or create an investigation out of the, the, the incident in Niger to begin with, trying to make it into another Benghazi? Well, so we haven't talked about this, but the fact that the United States has 800 troops on the ground or more in Niger is a big, big deal, and the fact that Senate leadership didn't know about this um, yeah, I, I think this is I don't know if it should be a Benghazi type incident, but the American public should know more about what's going on there. I, yeah, no, Nick. no. Well, all right. <laughs> so, no. And, and I thought you would say that. So I did some research. Yeah. So uh, special forces, uh, Green Berets, Rangers and everything in between uh, are deployed in 70 percent of the world's countries right now, uh, which realistically are in training or advisory capacities. And it sounds like from the reports that I've seen of this incident, uh, this group of rangers was going to a village where a relatively high-level ISIS-affiliated leader had been but wasn't there now, specifically just to collect intelligence. Not fighting anyone, hunting anything, just that. Uh, And it sounds like people within the village or um, people associated with the people that were in the village tried to hold them there yes. uh, long enough to where ISIS fighters could come in and, and attack. So, I, I mean, I think it's pretty cut and dry, but I the fact that it became so quickly politicized really, really kind of wrinkled my ass. I, I don't think it has to be a scandal, but I do think that there has to be some 
investigation of what happened, right? So we should know. And I think even the, the Joint Chiefs of Staff has suggested that, that it's important that we learn what happened here. But no, I don't think it has to be a Benghazi-type scandal. But I do. Mm-hmm. I, I, there, there are questions that have to be answered. And there's no problem with having troops in Africa. I will say the one thing that's upset me is that today John, Donald Trump came out and say that he said he didn't authorize this, that this was the generals again. Mm-hmm. No, you're the president of the United States. And if your generals authorize something, the buck stops with you and you have to take accountability for it. Yeah, I, I think a lot of that was put in place, though, in the last administration, where special forces kind of went buck wild in a lot of places that they weren't previously able to without Absolutely. presidential sure. oversight. Yeah. Yeah. Or congressional oversight, right. for that matter. Yeah. You're smirking a lot. Do you have some? No, 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 no. I, no, I, I think that, that my reaction. I, I don't. I hadn't see, heard that statistic that special forces are in seventy percent of the countries of the world or whatever. But to me, the proper like the the my response to that is not. I, I, maybe my initial response is, oh, well, this is not that unusual. But it feels like the proper sh- response should be, holy shit, seventy oh, percent of the world's yeah. countries. Like, I agree. Good God. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I don't. The incident itself doesn't seem like it's anything. Um, uh, what's the word? Underhanded or, or in some way uh, different than what normally happens during these operations. Um, but yeah, I agree. The fact that we have troops in that many countries and it seems like no one is aware of it whatsoever seems to be a big problem. When you're a global hegemon, well, yeah, you have to you do. You got to keep the kids in yeah. check. <laughs> All right. Should we talk beers? Yeah. All right, Philly, do you want to lead us off? Uh, sure. So I uh, had, well, I had two beers tonight that I wasn't particularly excited about either <laughs> one of them. <laughs> the, uh, the first one I had was a Blue Moon Harvest Pumpkin Wheat, which I... That sounds uh, terrible. Yeah, Just yeah. awful. I expected it to be awful. And, and it, I, I have to say, it wasn't awful. It, it wasn't particularly great, but it wasn't awful. I, you know, if you like, it wasn't the pumpkin flavor was not real strong. It was like a subtle flavor. If you liked, you know, if you like kind of wheat beers with a little bit of a fruit flavor to them or whatever, you'd you'd probably like this. It it was a little too kind of candy sweet for me. It wasn't. It's not my cup of tea. But it it wasn't. It wasn't awful. The second one I had was a Line and Kugel's anniversary lager, which I guess is brewed in collaboration with the Hofbrau House in in Munich. And it was also, it was fine. It wasn't, um, you know, I, I won't find myself going back to the store to buy more of them, but it, it was not bad. Fair enough. All right. I had a a grumpy old man from Goose Island. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so this is a pale ale, and I, I'm, I'm really enjoying pale ales. I used to love IPAs. I still like IPAs, but pale ales have been growing on me a lot. This one, it says it is dry hopped with melon and mosaic hops. I don't know what that means, but it was delicious. It was a very drinkable beer. Uh, it was a nice balance of hoppiness, but also not too heavy. Uh, good one. I, I don't know if this is uh, seasonal or what, but the uh, grumpy old man fits me. Nice. So, yeah, Phil, you would say that fits me in general, though. Grumpy For sure. Man. I can't yeah. believe you haven't had that beer before. I know. I saw it. I said, I have to buy this. <laughs> so, my second beer was a, um, a Hoppy Pills from Firestone Walker a Brewing Company, which is out of... Uh, I don't know. It doesn't say on its can, does it? It's got to be there. I don't know. My eyes aren't so good. But this is a Hoppy Pilsner, <laughs> and uh, it's it's good. Uh, it's a weird blend of Pilsner and hoppiness. I, I'm not used to that kind of blend. So that sounds pretty good. It, yeah, it is. It's it's nice, but it's uh, I don't know. It's just new. It's a different type of beer for me. So I, I like it. I have to I have to think more about it as I drink it. 
awesome. Yeah. Uh, first one I had was a Palisades Pineapple, which is uh, it's from Golden mm. Road Brewing uh, out of L.A. Um, I love their cans. Like all their cans are this weird kind of funky 80s like pink and yellow both of your cans both of your beers are very similar in terms of the color yeah so they're both from golden road but um yeah this one was an american wheat ale with pineapple and apricot um which actually i i i felt like it was going to be really sweet and it wasn't that sweet Mm -hmm. i needed something to kind of i'm not a huge fan of of wheats in general just because of the thickness of it but it was kind of a subtle, sweet, pineapple-y, apricot-y kind of taste that um, that cut it down a little bit. Um, so I liked it. I, I liked it a lot. I might I might have to get that one again. That um, that sounds like that could really go either. That could be either really good or really terrible. Yeah, I was a little worried about it. <laughs> Thankfully, it wasn't um, the latter of the two. Uh, second one again from Golden Road, uh, Ride On IPA. Uh, like you said, I think we just kind of we've overdone on yeah. on the IPAs. Um, Have you no decency, sir? No. Stop with the IPAs. <laughs> I think you're the one that bought them. Um, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, yeah, fairly standard, kind of heavy on the hops and kind of thick. Um, it's a lighter color though, which is interesting. It it's, is it's... a lighter color. It's it's pretty cloudy though. Um, yeah, a, a fairly standard IPA, maybe a little bit below average. Um, I would definitely do the first beer over. Excuse me. Wow, this one. Um, if you guys have uh, beer suggestions, though, um, hit us up on our email, which is barstoolpolitics at yahoo.com, or check the uh, untapped app for everything that we've tried over 45 odd episodes. Um, you'll find reviews on there, uh, and I think you can suggest beers as well. Yeah. So. All right, so we should move to the speed round. I suppose you want to get the the timer ready. Nick? I'm good. I will say so as we you know we put together a weekly weekly outline and and for the for the speed round I've I've created a heading that says speed round. Don't be, bring your weak sauce to the speed round. You got to bring it, boys. All right. So, all right. Topic number one. Uh, news broke yesterday that the uh, Hillary Clinton campaign and the DNC in general helped pay for the uh, Russia Trump dossier that broke uh, the what the dossier. I'm sorry, the what the dossier. No, what, what was it? It's the which pee- dossier? The pee pee dossier. Oh, <laughs> okay, so now I remember. Right. Yes, now you remember. So this was this, this was <laughs> um, now. What's interesting about all of this is that this was. Um, uh, this firm, GPS, I can't remember their exact name, were funded both initially by Republicans during the Republican primary to mm-hmm. get uh, negative information about Donald Trump. And then once we moved to the general election, then Democrats, specifically Hillary Clinton, continued to fund this organization. Uh, the dossier has all sorts of information about uh, Trump-Russia connections, has stories about indiscretions uh, that he engaged in with Russian prostitutes, some mm-hmm. of which have not been verified, other which others have other stories are there is some legitimacy to them the question is whether this is is this news or not news i i i, I, I go, go ahead phil <laughs> yes the answer is yes it is both so it shouldn't be i so i it shouldn't be news right like this is this is in my mind this is standard behavior when you're in a presidential campaign you run opposition research you try to find out all the dirt you can on your opponent because you want to win and this happens in the primaries this happens at the general elections this happens at the senate level at the presidential level this this is part of politics so in that sense it's not news but it will certainly be news in my mind it is unfortunate 
that this tie has been uh, revealed that, that the Clinton campaign was involved because of the stuff we've talked about earlier tonight, this, this sort of negative partisanship. There are people who, because it is tied to the Clinton campaign, will automatically assume that the stuff in the dossier is false, right? It will feed this narrative from the right and from Fox News and others that it's biased and it's just out to get get Trump. So so is it news or is it not news? It, it shouldn't be news, but it, it will be news. Well, I, I mean, I think the the other part of this is the information that they gathered seems to be a little suspect at best. The fact that we're calling it the PP dossier um, <laughs> probably should raise some red flags. I will say the firm continues to stand by its report. And this was a Daniel Steele. I can't remember what's his name. Steele is his last name, who was the one that gathered this information, continues to stand by. Now, it hasn't been verified, but it hasn't all been disproved either. So... There, there have been parts of it that yeah. have been verified, not, correct? Not, not the PP part. <laughs> not the PP part. <laughs> so I, I, it, it, the story that I saw was that the Clinton campaign continued to pay for research up until a few days before the election, correct? Yes, although I don't know if the Clinton campaign knew that they were working with this organization, right? I think the Clinton campaign probably reaches out to multiple different organizations for opposition research. This is probably just one of them. Well, that's just bad management. Well, that's what happens. <laughs> you know, for me, this story is, of course the Clintons were doing this. Of course right. the DNC yeah. was doing this. Everybody does this. Right. So I get that it's a story. And if I am a Republican, I am running with this story to say, again, this is politicized. There's nothing to this. But that's... The reality is that, of course, the Republicans, that we don't know yet who the Republican operatives that were supporting this, I would guess Ted Cruz or Marco Rubio, one of those, we don't know for sure, at some point that will be revealed. And it's it's not shocking at all that the Clinton campaign was continuing to fund, fund all of this. Uh, well, they're just unlikable. Like, yeah, when it comes down yeah. to it, they're just unlikable people. Now, the argument that the Trump campaign has made in the last day and a half is that, see, this undermines anything with the Russian story. But the reality there is that's that's a total false narrative because... The U.S. government has come out and said that Russians were involved in our election and that there's concerns that there were connections between the Russian government and the United States. So that story doesn't go away. But if Republicans are smart, they will use this in a politicized way to make that case. Oh, well, I mean, you've already seen kind of a resurgence of the uh, the Uranium One story mm -hmm. coming back again um, with, with new evidence coming out. Um, I... I, I which I personally think is a fairly interesting story. Um, but, yeah, the rampant, um, I'm going to attempt to say it again, politicis, politicisation. we got to come with our podcast word for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, the fact that it's it just devolves into this name-calling, just, you know, schoolyard bullshit is completely out of control at this point. Go ahead, Phil. Yeah, to me, to me, the most interesting story tied to this or the, the most interesting aspect of this is the extent to which this is like a parable of American politics. Right there. Mm -hmm. This is there is this extensive research involving, you know, lots of people into ties between the Russian government and the Trump administration, or at least attempts by the Russian government to alter elections. And all we talk about is prostitutes peeing on a bed 
and whether or not Hillary Clinton paid for it. Right. right? This, is, this is like this is class. This is you know, this is the problem. Yeah. This encapsulates the problem with American politics <laughs> that we focus on the soap opera aspect and miss all of the actual relevant, important information. I think what's likely to happen is this story will seep into the congressional investigations of Russian interference in the election. So the House investigation, the Senate investigation will get caught up in this political dynamic and we'll get nothing out of either of those reports. It'll ultimately come down to the Mueller investigation. That's the only one that I think the public as, as a whole will have faith in to say this is this is a genuine, objective investigation. I'll take that bet. But yeah, we'll, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see. All right. <laughs> Topic number two. I'm asking the boys here to decide who is the worst human being. <laughs> Harvey Weinstein or Bill O'Reilly? Is it Weinstein? Weinstein. Is it Weinstein? Weinstein. Right? Weinstein. Weinstein. Sorry, sorry. Well, he's a he's a terrible human being. So if we mispronounce <laughs> his name, it's okay. So Bill O'Reilly was in the news this week because it was uh, the New York Times ran a story suggesting or indicating that uh, he had settled, I believe, a sixth sexual assault or uh, case for thirty two million dollars. So he paid off uh, a woman who had been on a show multiple times uh, to keep quiet for thirty two million dollars now he has come out and he's done interviews and he was uh, he actually did an interview with the new york times where he denied all of this said this is a fabrication said the only reason he did it was to protect his children uh from these stories coming out that this is all false and terrible uh phil do you believe that bill o'reilly has been unfairly treated no, no. I, you know, so this is I, it's not fair to jump to this conclusion, but I heard somebody today say you don't pay someone thirty two million dollars over false allegations. Yes. Right. So, I, you know, I suppose there's a chance that that's, that, 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 you know, I, I shouldn't maybe I shouldn't judge him. But no, I don't feel bad for him. Um, the, the interesting part of the story to me is that apparently th- this was right before Fox News re-upped his contract. And apparently Fox News was aware of this settlement when they re-upped his, his contract. So there's this ongoing story of this kind of rampant um, – uh, yeah, this this rampant series of sexual uh, you know harassment allegations throughout Fox News. It seems like it was part of the culture. His contract was twenty five million dollars a year. That's insane. That is to me. insane. That's yeah. more than a year's pay for that payout. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> now I feel bad. <laughs> I feel bad for Bill now O'Reilly. I feel bad. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, <laughs> Harvey Weinstein. It was part of his contract was related to the payouts that he could make to. Is that right? I. I think that's what, was that was part of the what's, story. What's wrong with America right now? What is you know? It's this is so the white. So all right. First of all, we're talking about Bill O'Reilly and Hollywood. That does not constitute America. But on the left and on the right, we have individuals just engaging engaging in behavior that is clearly awful. This is impl- again. This is implying that this wasn't happening prior to us being able to gather all this information. No, but the blatant way that it happens—it's—it's it's, it's disturbing for me that, yeah. that this is so. Again, Republicans and Democrats can't hide from this. This is—I uh, think it's equal on both sides. Mm. Well, and it, the, so I—I'm I, trying to remember the details. This just popped into my head. I saw this week that whoever it was—the the Academy of Motion Pictures or whatever—that kicked Harvey Weinstein out this last week. Um, they made a statement and in the statement when they were kicking him out, they made some statement about how like sexism is done and is over in Hollywood. No, like, no, 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 it's insane. This, this is a real problem. Yeah. America needs to deal with this. Oh my 
So we, we haven't addressed, we haven't answered your question, Bill, which yeah. is who is Who's the, the worst, worst, okay, yeah, right. the the worst, worst human, human being? being? <laughs> Phil, you want to start? <laughs> uh, sure, I'll take a shot at it. I, I, like, the answer is they're both terrible yeah. human beings. I, yes. my, I, I, it doesn't seem like really a competition that, that one can, can win. If I have to give a teeny tiny edge to someone, I, my tendency is to give it to O'Reilly because there's something a little bit more hypocritical about his kind of political sort of conservative political stances. Um, but really it's like the difference is so minute as to be irrelevant, right? They're both horrible people. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I, I would generally agree with that statement. I, I tend to favor Weinstein and the Hollywood establishment a little bit more, pretty much for the same reasons that you the just hypocrisy. gave yeah. the, the yeah rampant hypocrisy of, them constantly touting, you know, their anti-racist, sexist, misogynistic points of view. And it's probably ground zero for all of those things. Yeah, you might have convinced me. Yeah, yeah no, I, I, I think the, I think Harvey is, is worse. I, I, I do. But just for the sheer numbers, um, they're, they're both awful. But, yeah, yeah the, uh, the hypocrisy, I think, is a little bit uh, thicker on the left. Though. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, 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 from... Uh, Having been part of the the DC thing and and that and having my own brush with sexual harassment and um, issues with with that kind of world, um, yeah, it's bad. Yeah. It's real bad, and that's something that doesn't get talked about nearly as much as Hollywood does, and it's rampant everywhere. But um, I, I I don't know. It's they all suck. We, Just we, have, we, have, we have a lot of as human beings. We got we got to work on some stuff, right? It's mm. just, we're pretty awful. Yeah, right. There's there's a lot of there's room for growth and it's 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 sad. Yeah. I, I will say both these stories troubled me. That it didn't shock me, but just troubled me that, that this happens. The the extent to which power lets you get away with stuff yeah. is is really uh, dis- not surprising at all. But really disconcerting. Yeah. No, that's right. That's a good way to end it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. All right. Third so topic, Philly. Uh, yeah. So the, the third topic we, that we're going to talk a little bit about is um, Alabama, which we've mentioned a couple of times in the last uh, few weeks. But so so Alabama um, had this primary election um, a couple of weeks ago in which the the Trump supported candidate, the sort of more mainstream Republican candidate lost to uh, Roy Roy Moore. Right. That's his name. Um, who's kind of crazy, uh, who's, who's pretty far out there. <laughs> the interesting thing um, is that, or, or the part that's worth discussing, I think, is uh, the extent to which this has become a race. And this ties back into the first topic we talked about with, with Flake and Corker and others. So Alabama is about as red of a state as you can get. Trump won with two-thirds of the vote, 64% of the vote, something like that. Um uh, but last week, a poll came out, and the the Democrat, whose name is Doug Jones, I have to look it up because I don't even know who this guy is. Um, last week, a Fox News poll came out, and it's tied. So Roy Moore, this That's this shocking. far right wing guy, and uh, Doug Jones are are at this point in a tie. Do do the Democrats stand a chance? Did is, you say it was a Fox Dem- News poll? It was a Fox News poll. Hmm. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. So that that was yeah. Are they the only ones polling in Alabama? I just can't days? imagine anybody else one. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, no, no, they have the Democrats have no chance in Alabama. I, I, I can't. This is no way, no chance, no how. There's no way a Democrat wins in Alabama, Mississippi, right? I, this is 
they, they don't know enough about Doug Jones. As soon as they learn, like, they probably like, oh, his name is Doug. That seems solid. But then once they start <laughs> learning about policies, they're going to say, what? This is, unless he is so conservative of a Democrat. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I, I, again, I know nothing about Doug Jones, but I can't see any way of him defeating Roy Moore, who seems like he should be, be defeatable. It would be interesting to see how the survey was carried out uh, Mm -hmm. in the sense of I don't know the details, but if they just named the two people or if they named them and said the Republican and the Democrat, if they actually labeled them as Republican and Democrat and it's tied that that's pretty shocking to me because I I, that would be really surprised. I don't know how I would explain that away. Um, But yeah, I think think you're probably right in that you have two no names and so people don't really know what they're doing when they're responding to these polls. But who knows? I will say that Alabama will be an interesting race because Roy Moore is, I think Roy Moore is Trump, is as Trump as you can be in terms of a candidate. I mean, his comments about he's disregarded Supreme Court rulings, uh, you know, that said you can't have the Ten Commandments on on, uh, Personally funded the construction of a Ten Commandment <laughs> yes. on the Alabama Supreme Court lawn. Just this week, he made a statement saying that the gay marriage decision was worse than the Dred Scott ruling. Oh. I mean, so he is—he is out there. He is—he would not do well in New York or Manhattan or San Francisco. I mean, he is out there in terms of a conservative candidate. So I, I, again, I'm torn on this, but I think there's no no way he no way he loses. Yeah, I think if. You, of all the places that you mentioned, the one place where this probably could work is Alabama. Yeah. So I, yeah, I tend to agree with that. Um, Ted, Ted Cruz has gotten on. He's campaigning for him now. Yeah. Oh, look at that. <laughs> there seems to be a tr- like a pattern in, of of these sort of special elections that have occurred in the last year since the Trump ele- presidency, in which Democrats take that approach. Like, there's no chance of us winning. There's this huge gap. And then the the candidate, they don't fund it. They don't put money into it because they're saving the money for competitive elections. And then the candidate who was supposed to lose by 20 points loses by five, right? And there's this second guessing of if the Democrats had actually made an effort or actually tried, maybe they could have stood a chance. So is this, if you're in charge of Democratic funding, do you spend money on this race? Do you save your money? Do you write this off as a lost cause? Do you say this is worth kind of testing the waters? How do you approach this? I, I mean, uh, from my perspective, I think they need to do a lot of um, trial and error at this Democrats. point to see where the weak spots are. Uh, the, clearly, the the established ways of, of attempting to run these elections is not feasible or effective anymore. So they need to come up with a completely revamp strategy to figure out how they can sink their teeth into areas that they previously didn't think they had any sort of chance in. I, if I would, if I'm the Democrats right now, I th- I think about Arizona. I would throw a lot of money into Arizona to try to flip that Senate seat. I don't throw money into into Alabama, but but again, Phil, you're the Southerner here. I mean, do you think so? You're from Texas, you know Ooh, that. <laughs> do you think is that is it possible for Democrats to start flipping seats in the South? Um, it's not like you're not going to see a major swing in this in the South, but but things do change, right? Like the South used to be solidly Democratic and then it became solidly Republican. And so if you don't ever invest or try, then, of course, it's not ever going to going to shift this. I I tend to agree with Nick here in that you you, this seems like a really interesting test case, like to Mm -hmm. to pick a Democrat. I I don't know, Doug. I don't know what Doug Jones stands for. But it, it seems like an opportunity for the Democrats to take sort of a Jeff Flake strategy, right, to, to go out and say, 
look, we know that there are lots of Republicans. You may not agree with us on every issue, but you agree that there should be sanity in politics and that there should be decency in politics, right? And and so this is your chance to, you know, I don't know, maybe take step away from some of the more hot button issues and campaign on, you know, the the stuff we've talked about, norms and democracy and how it's important to be civil. And maybe they get slammed, but I don't know. It's, it's worth trying and seeing what sort of response you get. I agree. You could position yourself on Thank a lot you. of policy issues pretty far to the right. And then, like you said, then run on the decency, run on the norms, run on the there needs to be etiquette in in, in, in the political system right now and, and, and see. Yeah, I, I still think you're going to lose, but it's worth it's worth probing. Right. So, mm-hmm. yeah. All right. Our next, next topic is something that we've been talking about for weeks about whether we should address this as an issue. Uh, and it's a situation that's going on in Myanmar with the Rohingya. So. For our listeners, uh, so the Rohingya are a minority group that are in Myanmar. Also. Muslim majority. Yes. Uh, minority. minority. Yes. Majority. <laughs> in Myanmar, also known as Burma. Uh, the United States has given a lot of support to Myanmar over the last couple of years as they've tried to move towards a more democratic direction. Uh, and what's happened is that the Myanmar government has started to target the Rohingya. And they've argued that there are militant elements within the Rohingya go- with group that are, that are attacking the government. And so you have to they're basically terrorists and you have to use force against them. But it has led to this mass exodus of upwards of a, of a million people. You hear different numbers, but it's a lot of the Rohingya that have moved into Bangladesh. Many people are suggesting that this is if not a genocide, bordering on a genocide of the, the Myanmar government targeting this particular uh, religious group for, for persecution. Now, the United States this week finally has said that we are, we are frustrated and that we're going to start cutting potentially some military uh, support for Myanmar. I guess the question is, what do you guys think about all of what's playing out here and what the United States response should be? And, and why aren't we talking more about this? I'll start. Yeah, go ahead, Nick. So this is something that's actually kind of near and dear to my heart. When I was working in D.C., uh, I worked for a strategic communications firm who dealt a lot with minority rights and refugee rights. And one of the uh, groups that we dealt with specifically was the Rohingya. This was back in 2013, something like that. So we did op-eds and opinion pieces and fundraisers. And uh, we even uh, were able to... Uh, push a piece of legislation uh, through Congress related to um, uh, the United States uh, uh, condemning the treatment of the Rohingya Muslims uh, and the actions that not only were taken by uh, the Myanmar government, but also the Buddhist majority who were responsible for more of this than anything. Uh, And there has been zero action on it since, since that time. So the fact that the U.S. is saying anything about this right now doesn't even kind of phase me. Yeah. Nothing is going to happen with this whatsoever. And it's 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 a huge tragedy. It's horrible. But, yeah, I, I, the, the Rohingya are considered citizens. They're not allowed to marry uh, anyone uh, other than other Rohingya. Um, kind of a similar refugee crisis where they're, you know, just crowding onto boats that end up capsizing and, you know, dozens of people drown and then attempting to get to, to Bangladesh or, or something like that where they are afforded um, uh, citizen status. And it's it, the fact that this has gone um, unchallenged and, and unnoticed and, uh, and, and just any sort of action taken whatsoever is, is it really, really bugs me. It's, it's a terrible, it's a terrible story. Yeah. yeah. Phil? 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many interesting and sort of heartbreaking elements to this story. Um, there's lots of parallels to this and other crises along these lines, Rwanda or, you know, Yugoslavia a little less so, but, you know, Sudan. The, the American media does not focus on international incidents. The American public is not particularly well informed about international uh, issues like this. And and so I, I, the, I would assume that the vast, vast, vast majority of Americans have no idea this is happening, right? We have so, to worry about the PP dossier. Right, right. Exactly. exactly. We get so distracted yeah. on these other issues. I, so, so there are, there are interesting elements of how the the U.S. media covers these events and the sort of, you know, I, the U.S. media is particularly. We 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 have I think more so than other parts of the world a focus on uh, on America, right? So we focus on U.S. foreign policy and don't pay attention to much else. So I, I don't think there's a whole lot. Uh, of hope that the American people are going to be all that concerned until after the fact, right? When there's pictures of, when there's stories of however many, you know, hundreds of thousands of people dead or whatever. Well, yeah. We're, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, uh, the other, uh, the other. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. Just kidding. Talk, no, go ahead. No, no, no you go. You go. Ahead. <laughs> the, the other interesting, there are, so several other interesting aspects to this, I think, are, are the fact that uh, um, the leader of Myanmar, um, An An Sung Suu Kyi. Yes. Good. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's there's an interesting element there because she has been you know has been praised in the past for her human rights record. She's won the Nobel Peace Prize, um, and now she's essentially, if not directly overseeing, at least not doing anything she's about a blind eye. Yeah, yeah, absolutely yeah. enabling this. So she could take a stand on this. Um, yeah, there's really been no response from the Burmese government, which is supposed to be in the hands of you know Aung San Suu Kyi and, and her coalition, but it's clearly still in the hands of the military. Yep. And it's it's not just the United States. This is an issue, a story that is not getting traction globally. No. So, you know, the United States, and I, I would say, you're right, the media hasn't pushed this, but they have, the stories are out there, but the American public doesn't care. So the media is going to stop telling the story if the American public isn't interested. Right. And the international community is responding the same way. I mean, this is, it is very similar to Rwanda in the sense that we know what is taking place. Mm-hmm. If this is a genocide, the enough enough warnings have been out there to say there needs to be a global response to this, and not much is happening. Well, I mean, it's it's clearly a genocide. They put them in camps. They burn yeah. down their villages. They uh, take people as slaves. They just randomly kill people in the street. It's the evidence, horrible. Yeah, the evidence of the burning villages is like they have satellite images showing yeah. the, the government coming in, burning these villages, and then the people leaving. It's it is it's an awful story. It's really really bad. And it's again, I think you're right that we get so consumed with the drama of domestic politics that mm-hmm. it gets neglected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, just I'm going to throw this out since I since I study religion and, and conflict. I, the other part of this that's fascinating to me is the fact that you have a Buddhist um, right. country that is essentially responsible for this, and Buddhism gets held up as this, you know, religion of of, of all the religions, the one that is the most peaceful and the least likely to commit, and and this just shows the universal uh, element of sort of ethnic kind of hatred and, yeah. and identity politics. Yeah, it's really heartbreaking. All, all religions and all groups can other somebody else. Yeah, everybody yeah. sucks. Yeah. <laughs> all right, we have to finish on a happier note. <laughs> so we have a final topic. I'm excited about this one. The substance of this final topic is great. So uh, there's a question out there. Uh, uh, Dan, Dan Dresner, who is a, a professor of political science at Tufts University, has been running this Twitter thread where he continues to post comments that he says show Donald Trump acting as a toddler. 
Now this is cost. Yeah. <laughs> They, they show that they show that the people around him treat him like talk about that's him right, like that's he's right. a treat him like that's a really the so element of it. They yep. have documented over 135 instances of those around Trump you suggesting like he is a toddler. So now, so everybody was sort of just buying that. Yeah, he's a toddler. Well, this week, uh, Masha Gessen, who's a staff writer at the New Yorker, wrote another piece titled "Trump Doesn't Govern Like a Toddler; He Governs Like a Teenager." And in this in this piece, she says the president has often been compared to a toddler. But the comparison, as others have noted, seems unfair to toddlers, who generally recognize the authority of grown-ups to set up rules and limits and instinctively understand the need for them. Teenagers, on the other hand, sincerely don't see the point of grown-ups, even as they assert their own right to act in a world created by them. So this question of, of who is, is Trump better categorized as a toddler or a teenager? Now, Dresner has come back and said, this is a good point. But the most obvious difference is in impulse control. While teenagers can be impulsive, one could argue that toddlers are almost defined by acting on their impulses without consideration for their long-term implications. And I would argue the past week of uh, Condolence Gate is proof positive that Trump's lack of impulse control is the defining uh, feature of his presidency. All right, so is, duh. Is, is Trump more like a teenager or a toddler. Oh God! This is fun. This is this is fun. <laughs> Play with me, knucklehead. All right, and I would also point out there that Trump continues to ask for two scoops of ice cream at dinners when everybody else gets one. Well, you need to have two. But is that teenage behavior or is that toddler behavior? So, between. Is it, can we can we put tween in there? That's right. <laughs> Phil, Phil, where do you fall in this important debate? So, I want before, magic shell before, on mine. Before the last minute and a half of you introducing this topic, I had literally given this zero thought. <laughs> but I'm I'm sort of com- I'm I, I'm sort of convinced a little bit by the teenager yeah. argument, the yeah. thought of essentially rebelling against, uh, you know, rules and structure and the the kind of attitude of you can't tell me what to do, right? right? right. Um, seems to explain a. a a lot, yeah. I, 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 I can kind of, I can kind of see that. He's a and, whiny and, millennial. Is that what we're doing? Right. So, it, go ahead. Toddlers don't have impulse control, but but teenagers also, you know, they they're they're like making these bad decisions yes. as part of sort of exploring, you know, their and and I see that in in Trump as well. Yeah, Dresser does does acknowledge that there's elements of both, and he says uh, there are aspects of Trump's behavior that are far more consistent with that of a teenager. Toddlers do not engage in repeated acts of sexual harassment, but this is often the main way that teenage boys and Trump communicate with the opposite sex. Which I think is really Toddlers are not old enough to comprehend passive-aggressive behavior, much less act that way. Passive-aggressiveness, along with sarcasm, is pretty much the only way teenagers communicate. Trump frequently communicates the similar a similar way, right? <laughs> so, oh, you know we. We talked earlier. Uh, I don't know. It feels like several months ago. This idea of Trump as a toddler, and and I, I, I remember hearing somebody say that uh, they'd never met a toddler who's as much of an asshole as Trump. <laughs> yes, right? yes. And, and and there's some truth to that, right? Whereas uh, I've met some real asshole teenagers. Yes, yes. That, that kind of makes sense in some ways. I'm I'm inclined to the teenager because of what you said. He's an impulsive teenager. Oh, Nick, you don't like any of this. No. I... No, I, 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 I don't disagree with the points being made. The as much as we talk about the 
I'm going to say it again. Yeah. The politicization of yeah. um, the fact that we continually go back to these stories. Like, these have become a mainstay of national news and press coverage. And all, all you see, or at least the majority of what I see in my news feed or when I ever look for news is opinion-based, just nonsensical shit. Like, I, and I understand this. This is a very different type of administration that we're, we're witness to, and things are not going the way that people would necessarily like them to. But every fucking day, there's a, probably a dozen stories like that. And you just... That probably exhausts me more than anything that I see or read or even glance at Mm -hmm. when it comes to the news at this point. And the fact that it's part of these major news organizations that that people look at and then just kind of ascribe to themselves. They just they they um, uh, what's the word? Um, Just it's it's reaffirming of their values and it's. It, like I get that that's fine with opinion pieces, but it's not necessarily um, portrayed as opinion anymore. It's so rampant that it just becomes so pervasive that it, it's it's just everywhere now. I would agree. I'm tired. No, I, I get, <laughs> and I I think that that critique applies to Barack Obama, George Correct. W. Bush, Bill Clinton. Like that that narrative had developed. Donald Trump is something unique. I agree. And is deserving of this kind of belittling. <laughs> because what he does, I mean, his behavior is so outside of the norm that I feel like we have to we have to push back at the way in which he is undermining norms. And that he does behave like a child. He does behave like a teenager. These are not acceptable things. And the political system has to push back and say, enough, Nick, enough. Sure. The political system absolutely should do that. Yeah. But don't you think it's a, a vicious cycle if we keep um, popularizing things that he ends up then responding to in an immature way. This is what toddlers do, Nick. It's what toddlers do. <laughs> My fear is what so happens. Now we're after, back to toddler. What happens after a Bush, or after a Trump presidency? Can we go back? And I think you're right. If if these norms and these critiques continue when we have a more conventional president, then, they most then I, certainly will. Then I'm I'm troubled. Yeah. So I, I realize we're out of time, but I want to make two quick points. It's the last topic, uh, so yeah. we can go over. What, one of which is that the fact that we're even having this debate is the is the story, right? right? That 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 we are having this discussion of whether he acts more like a toddler or a teenager is is incredibly telling about the problematic nature of his behavior. Mm-hmm. The other point I want to make is kind of going back to what Nick was saying, and also tying back into our first story, back to to again to um, Flake and Corker and McCain and these others. I I saw somebody. I wish I could remember who today making the comment that when you see Flake and Corker and McCain saying these things, it's good that they're saying those things, but that what they're essentially doing is acting like pundits. They're talking about right. like Trump and and like this. The, and, and what they need to do is act like politicians, right? They have power. They have the ability to check him. And, and in some ways, you're right, Nick, that this this sort of continued discussion is exhausting. And what we need is for people like Flake and Corker to quit sitting around and complaining and, and participating in punditry and do something about it. Agreed. It, especially if they think there are concerns with Trump's behavior that reach this level of the 25th Amendment or impeachment. And they asked Corker that yesterday. And he said, no, 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 we shouldn't even consider any of these things. He was elected. You know, that, that I don't want to be a participant to that. That that would be true leadership to stand up and say, yeah, this is what the vice president should should do. 
Mm-hmm. You know, this was this was fun. This was fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Any final thoughts on any of these stories? It's not going to get better, Nick. No, it's not really. Get, that's, that's if you're going to take one thing away from this podcast, nothing <laughs> is going to get better. But but I will say you're going to leave this podcast more informed. This is the only podcast you really need. You should you should unsubscribe to all other podcasts. You don't need other news sources. Just come to Barstool Politics. You're going to get everything you need. Agreed. Yeah. If you want to uh, keep up uh, keep up with us outside of the podcast, uh, follow us on Facebook at Barstool Politics. Uh, Twitter at Barstool Paul. Uh, like I mentioned, our email, barstoolpolitics at yahoo.com. Any comments, uh, suggestions, questions, uh, anything like that. Beers we have on Untapped, you can download that on your iPhone or Android. Um, am I missing something? You, oh, uh, iTunes. iTunes, if you like us, yeah. If, yeah, if you like us, like us, review us, review you, us and rate us. Um, that helps us uh, expand this and buy more fancy equipment. If, if you have a friend, Tell your friends tell about your the podcast. Friends, yeah. yeah, and then they'll tell two friends. Right, yeah. And they'll tell two friends pay it, and pay so it, on. Pay it podcast so forward. On. Yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, other than that, anything else, guys? No. Ha- Happy Halloween. Go Strohs. Happy Halloween. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs>